Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away, and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with standing cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys. Brand new teaching series this morning, this weekend. We kick it off for the whole summer. Soul Keeping, the book of Psalms. We're going to cover the whole book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters over the next three years. Okay, we're not going to cover the whole book. We're just going to cover probably about uh, 13 chapters. It'll take us to the end of the summer. And uh, we're calling it Soul Keeping. This morning we're going to talk about life transforming prayer, looking at Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm 150. You have your sermon notes out, you can follow along. Let me just give you a little bit of a summary of what uh, I hope is accomplished in our hearts and our lives as we study through Psalms this summer. It is the health of your soul that makes you or breaks you in life. So you need to have a healthy soul. Otherwise, uh, it will break you. The, the circumstances of life and the difficulties of life. The book of Psalms is a medicine chest for soul healing and soul keeping. And what will happen as we read through the Psalms, these various Psalms, is that the Psalms will lay bare our lives and point us to God, his word, and his promises for the flourishing of our souls. That's my prayer for us as we study through Psalms. Now, let's talk about what we're gonna talk about this morning. And you can see there on your notes, it has been said, it's been said, the longest journey a man will ever make is the journey from his head to his heart. You guys agree with that? So, so how do we make that journey? How do we narrow the gospel gap? I call it the gospel gap. So how do we narrow the gospel gap between what we believe and how we behave? Because you guys know, oftentimes we, we say that God is for us and he loves us and nothing can ever separate us from his love and he'll never leave us or forsake us, but then sometimes our behavior would betray us. It would show otherwise. It would show something different. 
So how do we narrow that gap between our beliefs and our behavior, between our spirituality and our reality? We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It will always produce life transformation. So how does that transformation happen? And uh, the Bible's answer is life-transforming prayer. We're going to look this morning at really two spiritual disciplines, Scripture, Bible, and prayer. And they're called spiritual disciplines. They're called habits of grace. Now, you've got to keep in mind that habits of grace or spiritual disciplines are not about earning God's favor. We don't do these things. We don't come to church. We don't read our Bible. We don't pray to get God's favor. But now that we have God's favor through Christ Jesus, you have God's favor through Christ Jesus, how do we increase our capacity to experience more of God's favor in our everyday life? Therefore, therefore narrowing the gap between our beliefs and our behavior, basically growing up, maturing, thriving spiritually. How do we do that? So I'm gonna give you a crash course here this morning on life-transforming prayer as given to us in the book of Psalms. Crash course in the book of Psalms and uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 150 are the bookends of Psalms and then you have everything in between. And you'll see that the notes are laid out like that. So we're going to talk about Psalm 1, and we're going to talk about everything in between, and then we're going to talk about Psalm 150, and that's what we're, well, where we will end and as we try to understand life-transforming prayer. How, does, how, does, how is our life transformed as we continue to interact with God and know God and walk with him? And, and here it is. It begins right here in Psalm 1. Here's your first fill in the blank with meditation on Scripture. Psalm 1 is about meditation. Now, Psalms, Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, you guys agree with that? Everybody knows that? Yeah. And so it's the prayer book of the Bible. But what's interesting here is that Psalm 1 is not a prayer. Psalm 1 is a meditation on meditation. It is the introduction to Psalms because the first step to life-transforming prayer is meditation on God's Word. This is where life-transforming prayer begins. Now, remember what was just read, Psalm 1, blessed is the man, the word blessed means total fulfillment, complete well-being, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law of the Lord he meditates, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, he will bear fruit in season. His leaf will not wither. Whatever he does, he will prosper. So it's giving us a, really an understanding, an analogy of meditation, and how to meditate. And um, so let's, let's look at this, the why, the what, and the how of meditation. So here's, you can see this on your notes. Why meditate? Why should we meditate? It tells us right here. It puts the roots of your heart down into God so that you can have peace, poise, and power regardless of your circumstances. You have God. You have God in your life regardless of what you're going through. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. So the person who delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night, he is like a tree. So he's given us an analogy, a picture, a word picture of what this meditation looks like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water in, in you probably noticed this, and its leaf does not wither. It gives you deep water, a deep water source, so that your leaf never withers, even during drought, even during difficult times. 
because you have a water source through meditation in God. Let me give you some some examples of what I mean by this. If you have learned how to do meditation, when people reject you or they're mean towards you, your roots are so down into God's love. His love is so real to you that you can shrug it off and you can handle it. It's like water on a duck's back, no big deal. Because his love is so much greater than, than the rejection of anybody in this world. That's what he's talking about here. If you're meditating, you got this water source you're drawing from. Uh, here's another one. If you lose your job or a vast, amount of, a vast amount of your money, if the roots of your heart are down deep into God's presence and providence, you can, you can shrug it off. You can handle it. If your spouse is extremely angry with you and says to you, we need to talk, you can shrug it off and tell your spouse you'll be unavailable for a few months meditating. (laughs) No, I was just kidding on that one, okay? You better deal with it, okay? Or you'll be in big trouble. So, So if you can't shrug it off, whatever you're facing, if you can't shrug it off, if you can't handle it, if it casts you down, If it gets the best of you, you've never learned how to put your roots down into deep ground water. This is what he's talking about in this psalm. See, if a tree is by the river, it doesn't matter whether it rains or not. It always, it always has water. It always has water. Meditation enables you to access God like that. Now, the opposite of this in in verse 4 of chapter 1 opposite of this uh, is verse 4, the wicked are not so. So he's making this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And he says the wicked or the ungodly, you could also say, are not so but are like what? Anybody? Chaff. Yeah. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Why, Why are they like chaff? Chaff has no root. And chaff has no substance. And when bad circumstances come, they get blown away. So if if you don't have your roots deep into the soil of God and who God is and his love drawing up regularly, you're going to get blown away. You're going to be more like chaff is the contrast that he's making here. So what what is meditation? Next question here. What is meditation? It is the pleasure of thinking out the implications of Scripture until it warms your heart and you respond to what God is speaking to you. So it is the pleasure of thinking out the implications of Scripture until it warms your heart and you respond to what God is speaking to you. So so notice he says delights. That word is an interesting word, delights. It means, means to take pleasure in. Other words for that would be satisfaction, enjoyment, fulfillment. And in essence, what he's saying here, really, when you look at the contrast, he says, blessed is the man, total fulfillment, complete well-being is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of the sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, And so he's making a contrast between the things of this world that we seek after to try to satisfy us compared to the person who's finding their satisfaction in God and through God's word. And so really what he's saying is that nothing will delight you more, nothing will satisfy you more, nothing will fulfill you more than to meditate on God's word day and night. 
And he says the law of the Lord. And he's using that. He's really speaking really here for us. The application for us would be the whole scripture. It's almost as if he's saying, I love having God tell me how to live my life. I love interacting with the creator of the universe and have him tell me how I need to, to do life and how I can know him better. Now, why would he say delights in the law of the Lord? Because there is nothing more freeing and satisfying than interacting with God through his word. Nothing more freeing? Yeah, his truth. His truth brings freedom. Now, you guys know this. Maybe you don't remember it, but I've taught this many times, is that healthy relationships have, have a mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. When you look at a relationship, there should be this balance of giving and receiving of love and truth. So there should be this giving and receiving of love and truth between us and God. And so when he speaks to us his truth, oh my goodness, it's life liberating. His truth brings freedom to our lives. And not only is it life liberating, but it's satisfying. His, his love is satisfying when he pours his love into our heart. And his love is not just a concept, but it's a reality. And it gets a hold of your life. I mean, I'm telling you, your love for God and others grows as you experience more of his love. So that's why he's saying, oh my goodness, I delight. I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in interacting with the God of the galaxies. Because it's life liberating, it's soul satisfying, unlike I've ever experienced. Nothing in this world can bring that life liberation and soul satisfaction like knowing the creator of the universe. Now, how often are we to do this, does he say? Night and day. He meditates on the law of the Lord night and day, throughout the day. Throughout the day of bringing God back into the center of your attention and affection. And so... So if, if the only time you think about God is maybe once a week when you come to church, or, or maybe the only time you think about God is not just once a, time, once, once a week at church and then maybe once a day in your devotions, then your tree is not planted by streams of water and drought will take you out. It's gonna take you out. If the only time you think about God is, like I said, once a week, maybe once a day, that's not enough. That's why he's saying day and night, meditating, day and night. Tell me what occupies your mind, and I will show you your God. See, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. And who you are can be no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. So what are the thoughts that you are entertaining in your head? That's called meditation, by the way. It, it, it's, you know, uh, some, uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person thinks within himself, so is he. So the kind of thoughts you entertain, it, it begins to shape who you are. We'll talk more about that as, as we work through this. That's why meditation is so important. So the question isn't, are you meditating? What are you meditating on? What are you meditating on? It's not, are you meditating, but what are you meditating on? Everybody's meditating. You're meditating right now. Right now. There's, there's thoughts running through your head. What are you meditating on? And by the way, what this does is it actually produces, the more you meditate on certain things, it begins to develop pathways in our brain where they become habits. They become automatic. 
in our lives. And those habits are really, really hard to break. That's why he says day and night, meditate on God, on the law of the Lord. Interact with God, know him, experience him. I did a, a Google search on this this last week. I was thinking about how often, this is what I typed in, how often do people look at their phones? Want to know? Okay, Americans check their phones on, on average once every 12 minutes. I just saw a couple of people put down their phones. Yeah, yeah it's, it's every 12 minutes. Bearing their heads in their phones 80 times a day. According to new research, a study by Global Tech Protection and Support Company, Asurian, Asurian uh, found that the average person struggles to go a little more than 10 minutes without checking their phone. That's November the 8th, 2017. So just within the last, so just within the last year or so. So, so here's what, can you imagine, if you, if you begin to kind of understand, where, where's your heart? What's the patterns of your mind? Where are they going regularly throughout the day? Begin to capture those and bring them back into the obedience of Christ. <clears throat> and you imagine if you begin to do that, little by little, and, and instead of looking at your phone the first thing in the morning, man, you begin to look at scripture. And then even while you're sitting there eating breakfast, getting ready for work, you got scripture there in front of you, you're just kind of going through it, you're thinking about it, you're reflecting on it, you're praying it. And then on your way to work, maybe you're able to, you know, be careful unless you're riding the, you know, the train or a bus or something like that, but don't do it too much, but you, you have it, uh, maybe a card, you kind of glance from, from time to time at the card, but, uh, but, but when you get to work during your break, at lunch, even at the end of the day, can you imagine if you just took some of the times maybe that you were preoccupied with the screen, with the phone, and you begin to use that to meditate on God's word? Can you imagine the difference it would make in your life, in your disposition, in your attitude, in your heart, in all of your life? I, I, I meditate. I've done this for years. I've practiced this, and oh my goodness, it has made a major difference in my life. I begin my day by meditating. I study for sermons by meditating. This is how I prepare for sermons. I spend a lot of time meditating. Throughout my day, I meditate. When I, when I hang out at coffee shops, I meditate. If I'm waiting for an appointment, I meditate. I end my day meditating. When I can't sleep at night, I meditate. When Nancy's trying to talk to me, I'm meditating. <laughs> okay, that last one was a joke, but... Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm constantly, I mean, even when Nancy wants me to go shopping with her, but if, you know, I'll take a card with me or, or I have on my phone a particular verse. That's the only way that I can endure shopping, okay? <laughs> and I love my wife. That's why I, I do it. I don't do it because I like shopping. I love my wife, and so I go hang out with her. And so, but it, it has, listen, it has transformed my life. And uh, Eastern meditation is emptying the mind. We're not talking Eastern meditation. We're talking biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling the mind with Scripture. As somebody once said, meditation is the mind descending into the heart until it catches fire in your whole life. Richard Baxter, 17th century Puritan writer who was a master in meditation, listen to what he says. Some of his words are a little bit archaic, see if you can follow. Serious meditation is different from your study of the Bible in which our primary aim is to learn the truth. Meditation is also different from prayer where God himself is the immediate object. Meditation, however, is the affecting 
of our own hearts and minds with love, delight, and humility toward the thing contained in the scripture. See, meditation is filling our minds with the truths of God's word until it ignites our hearts and works its way out into our everyday life. Some of you, this is just totally foreign to you. You're thinking, what? No, no, you think and reflect on God's word until it explodes in your heart where it just it comes alive in your heart. Remember I said meditation is the, is the pleasure of thinking out the implications of Scripture until it warms your heart, warms your heart. When Nancy and I were first married, we moved to Springerville, Arizona. Anybody know where Springerville, Arizona is? Little town, and I was an apprentice, a plumbers, pipe fitters, local union, 469, and, and worked up there on the Coronado Generating Station. And uh, there were, that winter, we were there for that winter, and it was one of the coldest winters ever up there. The days didn't get, there were some days that didn't get above eight degrees. And, uh, and so what happens when you let your cars are outside sitting in that kind of cold weather? We could not get either one of our cars started. They're just too cold. It's just cold and cars break down. I was out there working eight degrees out there trying to work on cars, and I'm, I'm not good at working on cars anyway. So the cold didn't help, and, and so, so we finally, we couldn't get either car started, and so, well, your car, she had a VW, standard transmission. You guys know what a standard transmission is? Okay, standard transmission. So we, I pushed it out on the road in front of this, we, we lived in a little 8 by 35 trailer, and pushed it out on the road out in the front, and I got out there behind the car, and, and she was going to pop the clutch, put it in first, pop the clutch. And I pushed her all the way up the road, and, and she had popped the clutch, nothing. <laughs> Pushed her a little bit further. I was almost wore out, and I said, hey, do you have the key on? <laughs> How many know that when you push start a car, it's got to have the key on because all the popping of the clutch in the world is not going to get the thing started? <laughs> that was our first time we went to counseling. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, we didn't, but I was just like, oh, my goodness, I was so frustrated. This wife you gave me, she can't even turn the key on. I think she did that on purpose. She said, I'll show this guy. Hey, push a little harder. As she screamed out the window, I was breathing hard. But finally, we got the thing started. And even when it first started, it was like, and finally it warmed up. And when we go right into prayer and Bible study, oftentimes our hearts are cold. And meditation begins to warm up our hearts. As we reflect on God's word, it goes, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. God begins, begins to speak to us. And so you meditate until your heart starts warming. How do you know? How do you know your heart's warming? Well, you start getting new thoughts that move you, stir you, awaken you. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. And then, and then you respond to what God is speaking to you. That's what I said too. I said meditation is the pleasure of thinking out the implications of scripture until it warms your heart and you respond to what God is speaking to you. Because believe me, he will speak to you. He begins to speak to you powerfully. Now let me ask you this. How do children learn to speak? They're spoken to by their parents. And some of you need to be careful about what you say around your kids, okay? They pick up all kinds of stuff. Believe me, I know. And, uh, and so, uh, so they, they learn from being spoken to. How do we learn to pray? By being spoken to. Life-transforming prayer is not just sitting down and praying anything that comes to mind. It is responding to what God is speaking to you through meditation. 
And so as he begins to speak to you, you begin to respond to him. And this is what it looks like. Next uh, couple fill in the blanks on your notes. How to meditate. It begins by asking a lot of questions about the text. And I gave you a couple models here. I've used both, and there's many more models out there. You can come up with your own model. But here's one, the SPEC model. This is an acronym, SPEC, S-P-E-C-K. So S, is there a sin to confess? P, promise to claim. E, example to follow. C, command to obey. K, knowledge about God. Just working through that, asking those questions. If you, if you memorize that SPEC, you can do that just going down the road. If you were reading some text in the morning while you're driving down the road, you can go through that in your head. Oh, that verse said this. Blessed is the man who does this. Blessed, blessed, what does that mean? You kind of work through that. The, the, the one that I, I, I like also is this tax, T-A-C-S. For instance, we could do that. We could do this with just this uh, Psalm 1, teaching. What is the teaching? Well, he's, he's comparing the righteous versus the wicked, and he's saying that the righteous meditate on God's word. They, inter- they interact with God throughout the day. What can I adore God for? Adoration. Well, I can adore him for the blessed life of intimacy that I can have with him. He's inviting me to greater level of intimacy with him. And where I'm going to find total fulfillment and complete well-being, blessed is the man. Total fulfillment, complete well-being. That's what he invites me to. I can adore him for that. Oh, God, thank you. And confession, what would be my confession? I'm easily distracted by lesser things. Lesser things occupy my, my life, like my phone, like surfing the internet, like all these things, like watching TV. Supplication, Lord, Lord, give me a greater delight for your word, that I would choose your word over TV or over Uh, social media or any of these things that would distract us and drain our time and keep us from really the only thing that can ultimately satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. Now when I talk about meditation, I'm sure as I said this, I said let's talk about meditation, some of you, I kind of saw maybe a couple of you, your eyes kind of roll back in your head like, oh boy, what is this all about? This has got to be boring. And I've heard people actually say, that's so boring. And I've even actually heard people say that studying God's word is, is boring. And my response to them would be, no, you're boring. You are a product of our hyperactivity attention deficit culture. And that's the problem. Our addiction to stimulation, input, and entertainment has caused us to lose our capacity to be still and know that he is God, Psalm 46.10. In fact, in the message, that verse actually says, step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God. How often do you do that? You're desperate to do that whether you realize it or not. Slow reflection and meditation is a lost art in our day and time. Remember when I talked about those pathways in our brain? We've established these pathways that we even have a short attention span. It's just like, we're just like, ah. And so we we tend to draw to more churches that entertain us. And that's why uh, attractional churches flourish because they're more consumer and and more uh, more about pragmatism and more about entertaining entertainment instead of really truly truly encountering God and to encounter God you've got to slow the pace down you don't hurry relationships you got to spend time with God think about him deeply and and that's that's part of it it's it's important 
We have lost our capacity to see and savor wonders where wonders exist, such as in God's word. Being bored with God's word would be like being bored at the Grand Canyon or the Swiss Alps. Only an immature adolescent would say, I'm bored. Can I play another video game? Charles Spurgeon put it this way, no man who merely skims the book of God can profit thereby. We must dig and mine until we obtain the hid treasure. The door of the word only opens to the key of diligence. No more powerful, no more power, he gives us the motive for why we should do it. No more powerful motive can be urged upon Bible readers than this. Those who find Jesus find life, heaven, and all things. Happy are they who searching their Bibles discover their Savior. And so your, your Bible study should lead you to Jesus if it's gonna be healthy Bible study. Interaction with your Savior. Truth and love, mutually giving and receiving. Truth and love. So if you struggle with this, I mean, we've got a class we're offering. Sign up for our, our Bible class, How to Study the Bible. Sign up for that class. Join a small group. All of our small groups, study the Bible, learn to study the Bible with, with a few friends. And, and we also give you those growing notes. Listen, I give you so much in our study every weekend, all of our pastors do, for you to take it throughout the rest of the week and just chew on. I know that you don't get all of what I'm saying. Some of you have said, I've listened to your message three or four times, and there's new things that keep coming to mind. I go, yes. It's It's layered. There's a lot there. And all you gotta do is take the growing notes and take them to work with you. And at lunchtime, sit down and begin to work through them. Say, God, what, what were you saying to me here? What is this about? How would my life be different if I really believed this? If I really knew your love, what does that mean to really know your love? I'll take just the, the fact that he loves me. What does that mean to really experience his love? I'll think out the implications of that. When are there times in my life that I've experienced his love? And so you got to slow down to do that. And so the things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. Look at your practices. It'll tell you your priorities and ultimately your values. So life-transforming prayer begins with meditation on Scripture. That's Psalm 1. Now let's look at the rest of the Psalms. And it continues by praying the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 2 all the way to 149. You'll notice I gave you a lot of cross-references under each of these points, too, that you can study out on your own with the growing notes kind of to help you to understand these points more. If you want life-transforming prayer, you must follow Psalm 1 into the whole book of Psalms. And you must follow meditation into prayer. The best way to learn to pray is by immersing yourself in the Psalms. I read five Psalms every day. Those five Psalms every day in a month take me throughout the 150 Psalms. I can't tell you, words cannot describe the impact, the, the soul healing and keeping that the medicine chest of God's word has done to me. I've been doing this for decades, and oh my goodness, I, I can't describe to you the many times I've had an encounter with God through his word, and it, it has just benefited and blessed my life beyond words. And so this is how it is, uh, this is how it is as you begin to experience soul healing and keeping as you meditate. This is what happens 
Uh, and this is the soul healing and keeping that happens in your life when you meditate and pray the Psalms. Here's the next fill in the blank on your notes. The Psalms will help you to encounter the real God. And this is what it's done for me. It's helped me to encounter the real God. The, the Bible tells us that if we are left to ourself and give our mind and imagination free reign apart from Scripture, we will always create a God in our own image that doesn't exist. And so the Bible, the God of the Bible is both, and you need to maintain this balance when you study scripture, and you can kind of look at your own life as you read scripture, is that the Bible will reveal to you that God is great and God is good. You need to have that balance, that God is transcendent, God is imminent, God is powerful, God is personal. You gotta have that balance in your life. In his greatness, he is supreme, majestic, righteous, holy, sovereign, judge, and the list goes on. In his goodness, he is merciful, gracious, loving, faithful, forgiving, friend. So what that should create within you, his greatness should create this awe in you. As you study this, you're looking at him, you're reflecting on him through his word. As you're interacting with the God of the galaxies through his word, should create this wow. Ah, and when you encounter his goodness in the scripture, it should create this sense of intimacy. Mmm, oh my goodness, this is satisfying. Wow, God, you are great. Mmm, God, you are good. There should be that balance happening in your life. And it's his goodness that makes his greatness so convicting. And it's his greatness that makes his goodness so comforting. If you want to hear his comforting voice, you must listen to his convicting voice. If you pick and choose what you want to hear from God, eventually you won't be able to hear from God. And, and so there are really two extremes we kind of fall prey to, two extremes when our prayer life is not shaped by God's word. There's the liberal extreme and then there's the legalistic extreme. The liberal extreme sounds more like this. Liberal people tend to always have a God who is a friend who speaks soothingly, always. And that's predominantly what you have in American churches these days. Oh, he's our friend, he's our buddy. You know, he speaks soothingly. And then you've got legalistic people who tend to always have a God who is, who is a judge who speaks severely. But I have a God who speaks both soothingly and severely. And that's what the Bible says, and you need to have that balance. He's, he's my friend who speaks soothingly, but he's also my judge who speaks severely. And so what you have in Psalms are divinely inspired prayers to the real God who is indescribably great and unimaginably good. So what should happen, and this is good healthy psychology as you're studying God's word, as you're working through the Psalms this summer. In fact, I would encourage you to begin to read five Psalms a, a day. In the next couple of months, you'll be able to get through this book of Psalms uh, twice, 150 chapters. And what you'll find is that uh, good, healthy psychology is that his greatness will humble you. His, his goodness will give you confidence. And you'll have this humble confidence. His greatness humbles you. His goodness gives you confidence. And a, and a humble confidence realizes how little you deserve and yet how much you have received. You'll go, oh, my goodness. I don't deserve anything. And, oh, my goodness, look how much you've given me. 
Let me give you a quick analogy as we kind of transition to the next point here on your notes. If you have only $200 in your bank account and you loan it to someone who fails to pay you back, more than likely you'll be pretty upset over that loss. That's, that's all the money you had. But if you have $200 million in your bank account and you loan $20 of it uh, or $200 even of it uh, to a friend who fails to pay you back, more than likely you're just going to blow it off. Does that make sense? And, and what we understand as you meditate on God's word and who he is, his greatness and goodness is enough to deal with anything in this world. It's like having... $200 million in your spiritual bank account. In fact, the next, this, that's the next point on your notes. The Psalms will help you to deal with every possible situation in life. So his goodness and greatness will help you to deal with every possible situation in life. Every situation in life is represented in the book of Psalms and placed alongside of the greatness and goodness of God so that we have a correct proportion of things and a guide for practical living. You know why I'm overtaken by temptations and overwhelmed by trials is because I don't have a proper proportion of things. I'm not looking at my circumstances in light of the greatness and the goodness of God. And the book of Psalms helps to realign that. Helps me to get things back into perspective. And therefore, you're able to face anything. So you encounter the real God, but he helps you to deal with real-life circumstances. And so well, you, have, you have to learn to process these things in your life, and Psalms helps us to do that. When good things are happening to you, you need to process it in prayer. Otherwise, you'll become proud, spiritually lethargic, and easily deceived by the pleasures of life. When bad things are happening to you, you need to process it in prayer. It's got the Psalms. Otherwise, you'll be filled with self-pity, bitterness, hopelessness, and disillusioned by the pain of life. When you fail or fall into sin, you need to process it in prayer. Otherwise, you'll be filled with guilt and shame. The enemy will use that against you. You don't need to be filled with guilt and shame. But if you don't process it in prayer, you'll be filled with guilt and shame and possibly continue down a potentially suicidal path spiritually. You won't be able to turn back. But as you come back into the arms of the one who loves you, he'll help you sort through that and bring healing Soul healing and keeping to you. Eugene Peterson, in his book on Psalms and prayer called Answering God, he says, in a world of prayers that indulge the religious ego and cultivate passionate longings, the Psalms stand out with a kind of angular austerity. Let me, let me uh, interpret that for you. Sharp severity. Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God that we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. The Psalms train us in the conversation. So life-transforming prayer begins with meditation on Scripture, Psalm 1. Continues by praying the book of Psalms, Psalms 2 through 149. Crash course here in the whole book of Psalms, as I stated. And then it ends in praise. That's your next fill in the blank on your notes. It ends in praise, Psalm 150. That's what we read. The last, book of Psal the last chapter of Psalms. Here's your next fill in the blank. <clears throat> A life-transforming prayer will end in praise. All life-transforming prayer will end in praise. 
Eugene Peterson, once again, listen to what he says. All prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime. But the end is always praise. So as you're wrestling through the issues of life, and as you encounter the real God, he will help you with real life situations. And it will ultimately take you to a place of, yes, God, thank you. Thank you. You're amazing, God. I love you. Here's the next one. Praise is inner health made audible. In fact, I would encourage you to, to search on, online and uh, just type that in. It will bring up a C.S. Lewis uh, little article on praise. And you can find, find that and read that more. Let me give you some excerpts of that and what he says. Early in, in, in his Christian life, C.S. Lewis's uh, Christian life, he struggled with the idea that God demands our praise. And upon deeper reflection, he realized that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. When you're enjoying something, you just kind of naturally praise. Man, I, I just read this great book. Or, or I have this amazing restaurant. Or look at that beautiful sunset. And, and he went on and he said, praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment as we urge others to join us in the enjoyment. And, and, and this is a quote from him directly from, from, that, from that article. He realized, this is actually from a book that he wrote. He realized that the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most while cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. And, and, he, and he went on and said, commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And when you enjoy him, you naturally are going to praise him because as you're interacting with the real God in the midst of real life circumstances, you can't help but praise him as you're working through that, as he's helping you and loving you and encouraging you. And his word is, is continuing to go deep into your heart. He found that that glorifying God and enjoying God are one and the same pursuit. So, so Psalm 150 it answers these questions. Where should we praise God? Verse 1, everywhere. What should we praise God for? Verse 2, everything. How should we praise God? Verses 3 through 5, in every way. Who should praise God? Verse 6, everyone. Now, here's where we end, and we'll kind of start getting our hearts ready for communion this morning through this. But each tree is known by its own fruit. Now we go back to the tree analogy in, in Psalm 1. It's a person who meditates on God's word day and night. The law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of living water. Streams of water. And each tree is known by its fruit. Just look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of your life. And so you can narrow, as you, how do you narrow that, that gap between what you believe and how you behave? And, and, and let me just read one section. I'd encourage you to read Luke 6, 43 through 45. It talks about how a tree is known by its fruit. But in, in that uh, section there in Luke 6, 43 through 45, let me just read verse 45. Listen to what it says. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So it's about, it's about storing up in your, what are you storing up in your heart? This morning you're storing something up in your heart. You can actually sit in the service and be storing something else up in your heart, even currently. What are you storing up in your heart? It will be seen in the fruit of your life. Circumstances don't change your heart, they reveal it. It's not your circumstances that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. Well, it's, it's, it's because I went through all of this and look what I've, ex- no, 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 no. That's just revealing what's in your heart. I'm not minimizing your circumstances. I'm just saying, it's just revealing your heart. Praise God, it's revealing your heart. Run to the arms of the Savior to have a transformation of heart. What came out of Jesus' mouth during his extremely painful times? By the way, the rest of that verse, it says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so what... What came out of Jesus' mouth during his extremely painful times? What had he been storing up in his heart? Well, as Jesus was assaulted by Satan, he answered each time with passages from Deuteronomy. As he was carrying the cross, he quoted the prophet Hosea. As he was dying in agony on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22 and 31. In the New Testament, the gospel accounts, there is 180 verses of Jesus quoting scripture from the Old Testament, 180 180 verses. And so he was so saturated in the word of God that it spontaneously came to mind, enabling him to interpret and face every challenge in his life. So Jesus is not only our model to follow, but he's also the ultimate subject of the whole scripture. It's all about him. John chapter 5, Luke 24 makes that very clear. Good Bible study will always lead you to him. It will always lead you to him, to interact with him, to know him. When Jesus interacted with the woman at the well in John 4, he said to her, wouldn't it be great to have water you could regularly draw on and never be thirsty again? That's what he said to her. He's kind of challenging her a little bit. And she responded, sir, give me that water. I want that water. And Jesus said to her, you're looking at it. I'm that water. I'm the water you need to put your roots into and draw on. So how could he, Jesus, offer that to a woman that was so sinful and broken like us? Because on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. John 19, 28. Jesus, according to John, was fulfilling Psalm 22, that whole chapter, 22.1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried that on the cross, but also, Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. my strength is dried up like a pot shored and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus experienced cosmic thirst, the complete absence of water, spiritually speaking, for you and me so that we could be planted by streams of water. He did that so that we could have relationship with the Father, John 7, 37 through 38, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the, Spirit, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Repent and believe in Jesus. Let's pray. So Father God, may we be people who delight 
and meditate day and night in your word, on your word, so that even in times of drought, we have a water source in your son, our savior Jesus, that bears fruit in season, does not wither, and always prospers. As we, as we learned this summer how to pray the Psalms, ending in praise, thank you, Father, for this sacred church ordinance of communion that reminds us that your mercy has spared us Your grace has saved us. Your love satisfies us. Your truth sets us free. Jesus' indispensable and costly love for us on the cross reveals to us how lost and loved we are. We acknowledge how little we deserve and how much we have received through Christ Jesus. In his beautiful name, we pray. Amen. Got three stations.